Welcome in to another edition, the Wednesday edition of the Stripe Show podcast. We call it Froggy Wednesdays here, and we have had a super busy week in golf, whether it was Phil winning the PGA Championship on Sunday, all the way up to the Bryson and Brooks video fiasco that we were, it was dropped upon us on what, Tuesday night, uh, actually Monday night. And then now today we have gotten another edition of the match. Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau will pair up with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. So this week we're at the Charles Schwab. And so no better way than to talk about the Charles Schwab challenge than somebody who's playing in the event and also is trending upwards and playing really, really some really great golf lately. And so we want to bring into the podcast. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have seven-time professional winner and a member of the 59 Club, Russell Knox. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. You are a member of the 59 Club. That's, yes, sir. 2013 on the, well, then was the Nationwide Tour, uh, Boise, Idaho. All, you know, came to, all came together beautifully on that Friday Friday morning, I believe. I've got to ask you, did the did the hole look like it was about that big when you were trying to put the ball in for 59? Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I remember I, I had like a seven-foot par putt on the last hole uh, to shoot 59, and it, it was weird. Obviously, in order to, to shoot 59, I mean, everything has to kind of go your way. So I had seen the ball go in the hole all day. So to be honest, I, I, just, I knew I was going to make it before I even hit the putt. It was one of those weird feelings. And wow. fortunately for me, I hit a, a good putt and it went in the hole. And uh, yeah, well, that was, a, that was a fun day for sure. Now, Russell, we've all had those days where we play well, or at least I know I do. And when I walk off, I'll shoot. For the other example, the other day I went out and shot 75, and I had a triple. So I get in the car and I'm like, man, if I don't have that triple, I could have shot even par. On a day when you shoot 59, do you have that shot where you're like... I could have shot 58. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, uh, but I mean, the way our crazy brains are wired in golf is, is to always kind of remember the bad thing. So if you shoot 59, you, you come off the last hole and you're like, Oh, I missed the sixth floor for birdie on the 12th hole. Right. So, but I mean, you forget the fact that you, you chipped one in that was going 15 feet past and hit the pin and went in. So right. it's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough way to look at it now, but on that day, no, nah, I mean, I, I pretty, I felt like I got most everything out of my round. So I definitely <laughs> never thought, Oh, it should have been 58. I was obviously thrilled with uh, 59. That's awesome. Where well, you've got seven worldwide wins. I want to get a member of the 59 club. And I know you're playing this week at the Charles Schwab, but you practiced this morning and now you've got a pro-am later this afternoon. So thank you so much for giving us your time. It has been an unbelievable week in golf. Uh, let's start out last Sunday. Phil Mickelson goes out and wins his sixth major at the age of 50. Everybody's talking about it. It's amazing. I'm sure you were watching it, Russell. Where do you stand on where this fits in, in Phil's resume? Is this his greatest victory? Yeah, I mean, it'd be really hard to say no. I mean, right up there with its first major victory uh, at the Masters, whenever it was. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this came as like a, a pretty big shock to the golfing world. I mean, um, I think we all knew that somebody over 50 was definitely capable of winning a major. But I mean, here we go in the last couple of years. I mean, golf has got so young. I mean, the guys coming out of college, Hovland, Morikawa, Wolf, all those guys, uh, Zalatoris. I mean, they're just tearing it up. So, I mean, everyone's looking at the young guys, young guys. And, and then all of a sudden here, Phil uh, wins at 50, almost 51. So, um, I mean, pretty remarkable achievement. But uh, to be honest, if 
if there was going to be one guy to do it, I mean, we all would have picked uh, Phil. I mean, he's he's obviously a freaking nature talent and has been for 30 years. So um, good on him. It was fun to watch for sure. You know, I'm sure we've all been there. I know as an amateur and, and my friends, we're all there. You're not playing very well. Things are not good. And if you look at Phil's recent finishes, I don't think he had had anything inside the top 20, maybe one finish, a lot of missed cuts. And you would not have picked him to win at Kiowa. It's a long golf course. You you really got to drive it straight. There's a premium on hitting the ball well. And yet he comes out and wins. Is it, This is really what what the sport you've chosen to play for a living and I've chosen to be a fan. That That's what this sport is. He can go from you feel lost to all. Find it overnight. Does that, does that happen for, for for tour pros as well? Yeah, I mean, very true. But I mean, it's obvious in in someone like Phil Mickelson's case of the the career he's had. He strongly believes that he had a better chance to win a major than a, a regular um, PGA Tour event. I mean, um, just because. Obviously, it's harder to win a major. He's way more experienced. He's he's won obviously five in the past. So it was the same kind of as uh, with Ernie Els as his career kind of almost came um, approaching fifty. I mean, he still had a chance to win a few. And and I mean, when I think when you're that good, you're that talented, you're obviously more excited for the majors when you've won forty plus times throughout the world. So I, Phil definitely. It's not like he doesn't try in regular season events for sure, but he, he would have been definitely more involved with it being a major. And I think because of that, because of experience on such a difficult course, um, he definitely would have thought that that was his best chance to win one. And um, still remarkable they did. It really is remarkable. You know, I go back to when Tiger won the 2019 Masters, and to me, that was one of the greatest wins of all time in our sport. But now here's this. Where, if, if you had to rank one is one is A and one is number B, or one is one and one is two, where do you rank them as far as the, these two major victories that have really turned the turn our sports up upside down for the last two, couple of years? Yeah, I mean, mine is hard to pick one as being kind of more impressive as the other. I mean, me being a, t- a huge Tiger fan out, I mean, it was incredible just watching both towards the end there, the emotions you feel as a fan. It was re- remarkable to uh, to watch Tiger win. And that was one of those moments where you remember how you feel and, and where you were um, just watching it. It was crazy, the crowd chanting his name. and But, uh, I mean, Phil, I mean, he's made history now. I mean, uh, the oldest major winner and... I don't know if it's going to be beat. I mean, uh, th- that's a that's an amazing number. I think the most impressive number is he has 30 years between wins. I mean, that's uh, I think he won when he was 20 and won when he was 50. I mean, that's also a crazy number. But, um, I mean, if I had to, I would still say uh, it's impossible to say Tiger's win is ahead of, of Phil's, but me being more of a Tiger fan, I'll give him the slight edge. But, uh, I mean, they're both in a different world of, of different category of every other win. So You know, it's crazy how one win can kind of start an avalanche, for example, because now people are saying, hey, the U.S. Open at Torrey, like, it, it, Phil's got to be – he wasn't a favorite before, but now he's got to be in, in, the, in the conversation. Yeah, I think a lot of us probably fall into that of, like, unfair predictions. Uh, I think – Everybody just needs to kind of sit back and appreciate Phil's win. And, and I mean, I think he did say in an interview, he's like, this might be my last win uh, on the on the PGA Tour. Uh, obviously, he's going to have plenty more chances now being exempt for five years, even though he was a lifetime member anyway. But uh, he'll get five years of all the majors. 
uh, or at least the US Open, he was exempt for the other ones. But um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, truly amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't put him in near a favorite to win the US Open at Torrey, even though obviously his game is great. He can obviously prove he can win at any time. But uh, I think um, obviously the stars aligned at Kiowa and uh, he was able to get it done. But I don't think it automatically puts him into the top 10 kind of favorites uh, every time he plays, no. You know, it was it was fun watching the end of that tournament, but the crowd situation did get a little out of control, to put it nicely. And the PGA of America has apologized and said they knew they were wrong and they want to write something like that and not let it happen again. What was your take on that? Because, I, I mean, I loved the scene of the fans walking up behind him, but you know, the guy that put his arm around him and pulled on Phil and, and Brooks said that some shots were taken at his knee as he was trying to get through the crowd, that kind of stuff can't happen. No, 100%. I mean, watching it with my wife, um, I mean, I like we both were shocked. I mean, it, it got out of control. I mean, fans were jumping over the ropes and through bunkers, and, and um, nobody can not, – not like Phil or, or Brooks or, or anyone is like – above anyone but nobody can touch you as you're competing like that 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 that, that wasn't right and and just the the amount of time it took for brooks to get through the crowd was was shocking and uh yeah i mean they i thought it was cool how they let the crowds um come down the fairway towards the green i mean that was great but they did it in obviously a horrible way they needed to be much more prepared for for a moment that size and um, yeah, that part of it was 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 terrible and, and should have never happened. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback, data, and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable, cases about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor, Check it out at rapsodo.com, R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com, rapsodo.com. Now, I know you were obviously playing in PGA Tour events long before the pandemic, and then you played some when the pandemic after it happened last year at the Players, and then when we came back last year, I believe the first event then out was the Charles Schwab Challenge, yep. and there were no fans, and now we're starting to get fans back. Talk about the differences in having a full fan atmosphere versus none versus the kind of limited aspect well no fans i was terrible um i i really struggled with my play for for many reasons not just being fans i mean obviously we're we're used to playing in front of no people our whole life and when we're at home and whatever but uh but the atmosphere that fans create a golf tournament especially on the weekend when you're playing well you're in contention big venues like quail hollow or jacksonville with the for the players i mean when there's a lot of people like your heart beats more like you're more alive like you're it's not like you're more nervous but you're just like you have more adrenaline going through your body and for me that helps me yeah, significantly it helps my my focus helps me 
um, I mean, let's be honest. It's nice when you hit a good shot and people are clapping. Like, right. yeah, yeah, that was a good shot. I, <laughs> I, I did hit a good one. So that, that part of it sometimes can just a little bit of momentum to get you kind of feeling good and pl- playing well. So, um, I mean, obviously, recently we've been playing with kind of limited fans, which is which has felt like full fans because having nobody there was just terrible. Right. So, um I mean, soon enough here, we're going to be full capacity and rocking and rolling, and we're going to hear all the the drunk fans yelling, and it's going to be great again. So, um, uh, I'm a huge fan of as as many people there as as possible. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite events is is the Waste Management Phoenix Open for obvious reasons, and right. I mean, it's it's fun just to have people there watching you and and yelling and having good time, and I think it's uh, it's important for for our sport to to have fans. Did it take the fans being like, did it take losing fans for that period of time to realize how much you really enjoyed them? Cause you probably never thought that you'd ever play an event where you didn't have fans. Yeah. I mean, very true. I mean, it's obviously sometimes when people are yelling or too loud or moving, you're like, Oh, they're, they're annoying me, but it's much better to be annoyed than no one be there. That's for right. sure. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll never complain about that again. So where were you Monday night when you finally saw the video of uh, that's now been taken down, by the way, my Twitter account was locked uh, as we started to do this podcast because I posted the Bryson Brooks video from Monday night. I had to go on and, and recover my Twitter account. So I will not be reposting that, but what was your take on that? It really kind of took the world by storm on Monday evening. Well, at first when I was like kind of scrolling through the, the social media and I, I kept seeing it and I, I didn't watch it all to be honest. And then after I saw it for 10, 20 times, I was like, oh, I better watch this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was funny to watch. I mean, um, obviously with, with Brooks and Bryson, I mean, you have two like alpha dogs. I mean, uh, Brooks obviously is a, a fairly unique interview. He always is very blunt to the point and, and uh <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's got to be some kind of beef between them for right. for Bryson to even have a little little jab and uh, and Brooks to react that way. And I mean, it was surprising that it was kind of leaked out, but um, it's not a bad thing, though. I no. mean, hey, I mean, you can't even though Brooks and and Bryson are are both superstars, both on the U.S. teams, Ryder Cup, President Cup for for years to come. No, everybody's going to like each other. I mean, um, they're they're allowed to to not like each other, uh, and uh, nobody's going to be. I mean, Tiger and Phil were not best friends for years, so oh. um, so yeah, it, it's fine. I mean, hey, they're both very much their own person. They they don't socialize too much on tour, from what I can kind of uh, see. Um, so yeah, they're both they're both their own kind of strange human, like we all are, and. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. It was, it was no. funny. I thought And while we're here talking about it, I do want to admit since we're here, maybe a little confession style. I did watch it probably 20 times and turned it up to try to hear what Bryson said that upset Brooks, but I never could make out what he said. So yeah. I guess we'll never know. I have to admit, I watched it 20 times too. I mean, I just, his Brooks's facial expressions were just legendary. I mean, it was so, I mean, he was so angry. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it really was good stuff. Um, and then today they just announced, uh, just a few hours ago 
that we are getting another edition of the match. You know, the match started with just uh, Phil and Tiger. And then we had uh, Phil and Brady versus Tiger and Manning. We've had another offshoot with, I believe, Steph Curry and uh, Charles Barkley were a part of it. And now today they announced we're getting Phil and Tom Brady again will pair up and they will play Bryson and Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. And Tom Brady is already throwing shade on Aaron Rodgers on Instagram. So this is another, I, I think these matches are good for golf. What do you think? I do too. I mean, obviously there's been a few of them now, so they're obviously generating some uh, interest and, and money for, for whoever charity involved. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously people are, are watching or else they would have stopped it. So, and I mean, obviously in the U S I mean, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are, are enormous names. People love them on the football field, but obviously people love them off the field and in the golf setting too. And I mean, watching Phil in his last match there, I mean, he's, he's phenomenal in that setting when he's mic'd up and uh, I mean, he's describing what he's thinking over shots and, and and that part of golf is, is not really seen as much as, as it could be when people are mic'd up. And I mean, Phil is the best at that. I mean, he's, he's phenomenal at describing how to hit shots and, and whatnot. So I think viewers really like that. And plus, um, he can kind of coach his partner, uh, Tom Brady around. And, and I mean, who, who won't want to watch DeChambeau just smashing it. And it's, uh, it's fun for golf. And obviously Aaron Rodgers has, has been in the press here a lot with his green Bay Packers. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, four monster names in the worlds of sport and it'll be, uh, a lot of people will watch it. Yeah, and it's for me, it's fun to see. And I'm a I am a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, so I do I like Tom Brady. I appreciate all he's done for my team in just a short amount of time. But it makes me feel better to finally see Tom Brady's not great at everything because so far we have always been accustomed to he just wins all the time. So to see him on the golf course not play so great does make me feel a little bit better about myself and my game. Well, absolutely. It's good for I mean, obviously if you're watching professional golf every week can see how bad we are sometimes too so uh but yeah having um whatever handicap tom is or aaron is watching them hit terrible shots is uh i mean that's why people watch i mean they like to see the good shots but let's be honest people like to watch the train wrecks too so right so they'll see a bit of everything in, in that match it's like the bad singers on American Idol. Everybody says, okay, that guy can sing. But when you get a really bad one, you're like, everybody's got to see that one. Exactly. So I've got to tell us, I've got to tell the story of how Russell and I met. So you want to tell it or do you want me to tell it? Fire on. <laughs> so my son plays in, uh, he plays for high school. He plays for his uh, niece high school team. And we're playing at a match here in Ponte Vedra. I believe it was at the Yenon Club on the Lagoon course. And Russell was walking, watching his nephew play. And I just saw you walking by yourself. I was riding with my wife in a cart. And uh, we just, you know, as when you're on the golf course and you see somebody, you just strike up a conversation while you're watching other people play golf. And so we must have talked for a good three or four holes. You're talking 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, Russell's walking. I'm driving the cart for a little while. And then I get out of the cart and just start walking and we're talking. And I make the stupid mistake of saying, so do you play golf? And Russell goes, yeah, I play. He still doesn't tell me who he is, by the way. <laughs> So 
So we get to another hole and we're walking and this other lady comes up to me and she says, do you know who that guy is that you're talking to? I'm like, no, he's a really nice dude. She goes, that's Russell Knox. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, that's the Russell Knox. She's like, yes. I'm like, I feel like such an idiot. Now I went over, I apologized. And then we enjoyed the rest of the match, but it, it was, it was super cool to see you out there in a completely normal event, watching your, watching your nephew play golf. My uh, five foot ten skinny fat guy frame just blends in beautifully with uh, with with everyone. So uh, no, I mean, hey, we're we're obviously we're all just just dudes, and uh, I I was out there enjoying watching my nephew Anthony play, and you had um, a logo of the legendary Matt Every on. So I think I asked you about that, and uh, and um, yeah, that was it. But uh, no, I was a enjoyed that day of, of watching some carnage of junior golf and uh it was nice to nice to get to know you it is you know junior golf is is fun to watch do you find it difficult when you watch your your nephew play you, you see him make some mistakes that you, you know what he's doing do you find it hard to not say anything while he's in the middle of a round yeah absolutely um I'm sure he's watched me many times and he's like, why did you hit it in the water or whatever? <laughs> so, um, I mean, golf is, is extremely difficult, obviously when you're spectating, caddying. Um, I mean, it's hard to play obviously, but it's, it's much more nerve wracking when you're watching, especially uh, a family member or you know, cause you're wanting them to do, to do really well. But, uh, at least when you're playing, I mean, it's all on you. So if you're if you do terrible, you can kind of accept it. But uh, I mean, you, you just want the kids to, to to do their best and enjoy it more than anything. I mean, obviously, you have to you have to learn from your mistakes in golf, to, and it takes years and years and years to do it. So um, unfortunately, there's some a lot of tough days in your kind of growth as a golfer. There is. It takes a lot of a, a lot of patience. And a lot of times you think to yourself, I know I'm guilty of this. I went out a couple of times ago. I played well, shot in the seventies and went out again. Like I said, just uh, last week, shot 75 with a triple and uh, went out yesterday. And I thought, you know what? I figured it out. I got it. Uh, yesterday was not so well. We won't even go over what I shot yesterday, but it was not good. And so it, it is such a, a frustrating game and a hard game. Do you, as a professional, do, do you sometimes feel like I, I've got it figured out and then something else goes awry or are there days where you do head to the course and you expect to play well and things don't go as well as you thought they were? Yeah, I mean, obviously you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy game. And I mean, sometimes when you have no expectations, I mean, you might have a terrible warm-up on the range and kind of be a little freaked out and then go out on the course and you chip in on the first hole or make a 30-footer and away you go and you shoot the easiest five or six, seven under you've ever shot in your life. So it's such a strange game. And sometimes when you know you're playing well and you're hitting the ball great in practice and on the range, sometimes then you you almost put too much pressure on yourself to, to perform well because, I mean, you know your game is where you want it. So... I think it's always best to kind of like for me, I've always liked to see some results previous before I have like a a big finish or or a victory, but it's also important to realize that, I mean, you're just trying your best and it can happen really at any moment. I mean, Phil being a perfect example, I mean, obviously didn't have huge success this season on the tour and then all of a sudden wins a major. So you just, if you have the ability, which everyone does on tour, you just have to be positive because you just never know when, like I said, the stars are going to align. And I mean, uh, it takes luck to win a tournament, a lot of luck. And uh, when it's your week, it's your week. So 
I mean, you just got to kind of one foot in front of the other, try and enjoy the, the, the roller coaster ride and try your best. Yeah, it's playoff time, big stakes, bigger promotions. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into 200 That's 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy. And if that team wins, you will receive $200 in free credit. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention, bet $5. And if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. All it takes to claim these 40 to 1 odds on the basketball team of your choosing is place a $5 bet on that team and that team to win. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and golf. So much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TRAVIS when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you claim the $200 in free credit. That's promo code Travis for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, Russell, do do you put more pressure on yourself when it's a major event or maybe when you play here at TPC Sawgrass because it's a home game, so to speak? Are there certain tournaments where you do put a little more pressure maybe than you should on yourself because you want to win? Yeah, I would probably say yes. I mean, in the past, I've I've used kind of past year success as as an indicator of, of how maybe I should do. So, I mean, for example... I mean, um, Hilton Head, I've, I've had a lot of really high finishes there. So every time I go there, I'm like, I feel like a little more pressure because I know I can perform well there. And, and same with the, the players in Jacksonville. I mean, of course, I I went to college there at JU and I've lived there half my life now. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's a tournament where I want to do well. But um, it's uh, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Uh, you just have to you're almost trying to make every tournament the same and and you just never quite know when it's all going to come together and play well. But uh, for that reason, it's kind of the most important just to kind of enjoy the ride and enjoy the challenge. I mean, I know that this is not going to last forever, so I need to kind of cherish every moment, every opportunity I get to play on the tour. And, and um, I hope I can kind of have a great kind of next half of my career, if you want to put it that way. Right. You know, your game has been trending upwards lately. You, you've had some good finishes. I know you, you had some good finishes here at the Charles Schwab in the last couple of years. Last year was coming off of COVID, so it was a very different tournament. But the previous two years, I believe there was a top 10 and a, and a top 20 in there. So what do you um, attribute the changes that you've been going through that your, your game is, is so much better now? Yeah, I've, I've worked with a new coach now for probably eight months or so, a South African guy called Mark McCann. Um, also works with Nick Taylor and Martin Laird, fellow Scott on tour. So he's been a huge part of of my success. Uh, I, I had my old uh, college golf coach, Mike Fleming. He was my coach for like eight years, and he, he passed away in 2014, 2014 or 15. And to, to be honest, since then, I've really struggled to find a coach that I've like gelled with. Like Mike and I were so close, and we talked about everything, and I, I felt – that was when my game was the best it's ever been kind of early um, 2015 into 16. But then sadly I kind of lost that connection with a, with a coach and I've bounced around a few different people 
but I've never really found someone I felt super comfortable with talking to about golf and my swing and just life and golf in general, really. So Mark has been a guy which is very similar to my old coach. So I think just naturally it's helped my game as I've had someone to bounce ideas off. And he's, he's really kind of got a grasp of, of how kind of simple I like to make it. And, and um, so that has been a huge part of, of my success um, in the last year or so. And, and it's been slow. Um, I haven't had the kind of like rock star finish, if you want to say, but I've, I've been up there quite a few times and just haven't quite put it all together, but I've had a lot more solid tournaments rather than, than disappointing ones. So it's, um, it is trending. You're right. Are there any major changes that you are working on in your swing? Are there any certain swing thoughts you have? Um, not really, to be honest. I mean, I was out there this morning. I was working on maybe just a little bit slower backswing, just a, a little more kind of deliberate. Um, sometimes I get a little quick. and But no, to be honest, it's it's very simple stuff. I mean, um, set up and and just try and return the club back to, to square as, as much as possible. And, and um, my brain just doesn't function well with too many different things. So I like to keep it as, as simple as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Because a lot of people stand over the ball and they've got a backswing thought and then a, something at the top and then something through impact. And all you're doing is thinking instead of playing golf. True. I mean, um, I mean, we all play our best golf when we just look and react and, and kind of hit it more athletic. So, um, I mean, I've tried to get, make it kind of as, as simple as that and, and try and not play as tight and nervy. And, and um, I mean, the problem is as you get older in golf, you have a lot of negative memories as well as good memories. So, I mean, someone um, like Phil, for example, he's played golf his whole life. I mean, he's obviously had a lot of disappointments, but the trick is to try and be as positive as possible. Remember the good moments. And uh, those are the guys that can have the longest careers. Right. Have you played? I'm um, obviously you have, played with Phil in the past you have any good experiences that you really remember from playing with Phil I've actually I've only played with Phil once it was at Quail Hollow um I mean it was probably seven or eight years ago now and we teed off on Saturday it's just the two of us and we were up towards the lead and we were in like maybe the third last group and I I did a horrible job like I was I was like freaked out about playing with Phil such a big name and I mean, I, I just couldn't settle down. My heart was like just pounding the whole front nine. I think I shot five over and I, I was just terrible, terrible. And Phil played great. He was actually leading. Uh, he was like just playing incredibly well. Birdies, eagles, holding putts. And um, I kind of settled down on the back nine a little bit. And, and I think I shot even on the back. So I shot maybe four, five, six over, I think, for the day. And Phil got to the last hole and made triple. He was leading on the, the last hole on Saturday. He, he made a seven. So um, it was a sad way for him to end such a great round because he was like six or seven under for the day. Wow. But, um, yeah, that was my that was my only time playing with him. Well, let me ask you that. When you play with a, with a partner, if the partner's not playing well, putts aren't going in the hole, drives aren't straight, does that affect your play at all with, with seeing those things happen? I would say not as much if you if your playing partner's playing poor, but if your playing partner's playing really well, most of the time, not in that case, but if you can both get in some kind of rhythm together, you can kind of pull each other along to both play well. Um, I, unfortunately, at that time in my career, was not prepared for the madness that surrounded uh, the, the circus of Phil Mickelson. But right. um, Obviously now that's a different story as my careers went on and I've got more experience playing with, with a lot of the big guys. So 
so yeah i mean it's always more nerve-wracking to play with with a superstar but um it's also an honor to kind of see where your game um is kind of matching up so right. Have you played with Tiger before or, or like Dustin, Rory, those guys? I'm sure you've probably, you've been on tour long enough to be paired with most of these guys. Yeah, no, I've played with everyone now. So I got to play with Tiger the first two rounds of the Open Championship at Carnoustie with Hideki Matsuyama. So oh, that was wow. a, a huge highlight in my career. I mean, getting to play with Tiger in a major in my home country of Scotland. And I had just won the Irish Open a couple of weeks before. And I, I remember to this day, it'll give me goosebumps talking about it. I mean, Tiger got announced and it was one of his kind of comebacks. And uh, he, he was actually doing great in the tournament. And But he got like a huge roar on the first tee. And then I hit after him and my roar was as big, if not bigger than Tiger's. And I just remember like, please get the ball on the tee. Like hand was shaking and the ball kind of like oscillated on the tee and then it stopped. I was so happy. And I kind of like, thinned it down the fairway and off I went. But that, that was like a, I mean, I've obviously, I've won three, three big times uh, throughout the world, but that moment in my life was, was probably the most memorable. Just getting to play with, with a hero of mine and in his prime, which was, which was pretty cool. That's a great story. Have you, have you played with Bryson before? I have, I haven't played with, with Hulk Bryson though. Okay. So, uh, the, the, I, pre-protein shake Bryson I played with. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, that, actually that's what I wanted to ask you if you had done that because, you know, Rory was not ashamed to say that he got caught up chasing speed and it had hurt him a little bit. Have you ever found yourself wanting to chase speed? And if so, do you feel like it hurt your swing at all? Well, I did. I, I kind of chased uh, a little bit before Bryson did. Uh, I worked with local uh, legend uh, Justin James, long drive guy in, yeah. in Jacksonville. And we worked, um, I mean, we are working together in the gym and then also on the range uh, doing speed stuff for, I don't know, probably four to six months. And um, I mean, ultimately, I, I didn't perform well when I when I was working with Justin, but but that had nothing to do with, with him giving bad advice or, or anything. My Technically, my swing was probably not in as good a position as it is now. But uh, it was a journey I wanted to go down. I've never really been into to fitness as much. And I've known Justin's dad, uh, Jerry James, for many years. And um, so he's always kind of pushed me to, to get into that side of it, being such a, an animal that he is. Yeah, and he Justin, used to be a professional wrestler, actually. Yes, Agent Orange. Legend. Yes. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Justin. And um, it was amazing what he was able to, to help me achieve. I mean, I really did pick up a lot of distance um in a in a short period of time and and it it was definitely a a fun journey to go down and unfortunately i didn't i didn't stick it out maybe as as much as i i could have and and uh, and that had nothing to do with 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 justin whatsoever i i thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it but um it was just at a moment in my career where i was not spiraling down but i was really needing to get back to what how i played golf and and um I, I I basically chose that I, I working out as much as he wanted me to wasn't in my best interest at the time, and I needed to just get back to kind of hitting fairways, hitting greens, and and um, how I've played my whole life. But uh, it was staggering how much distance I I picked up, and I think ultimately now I might be reaping a little bit of the benefits of of that six months of training because i i still i'm not swinging it nearly as fast as i did with justin but it's still faster than it was when when we started the journey so it was a it was a fascinating journey and i i loved every minute of it to be honest so you found like a happy medium instead of being at 100 percent, you've backed it off a little bit but you've still picked up 
there are still distance gains from where you were when you started. Yes, and I know, I know, I in my brain now that I have more speed. So, like, if I did want to, like, really step on one in a round, I, I know it might be there. So, so that that's kind of nice to know. But uh, and Bryson's kind of done that too. Like, you you can't play on the PGA Tour golf swinging long drive swings on the course. That that's just unfortunately not the way that you're going to perform your best but it's nice to have that and then being able to back off if you've never if you don't have it then uh, you can't back off so um i think you'll see bryson tone it down potentially over this next kind of six months but he's still going to be hitting it miles further than everyone else right you know you bring up a good point i don't think a lot of people realize that that when when you're standing on on a tee russell and you, you're going to hit the ball what would you say percentage wise you are swinging you're not swinging 100 percent I mean, to be honest, though, close to it, but um, obviously every hole is a little different. I mean, if you get on a hole that is wide open, but I mean, 100% in a tournament is different than 100% on the range after you've hit 20 balls in a row as hard as you can. So it's impossible in a tournament to go from just hitting a couple putts with your heart rate low to gaining maximum speed in, in like one minute when you go to tee up the ball. So all of us can gain speed if you just hit ball after all one after another tee up smash it because your heart rate gets up so like when you see bryson on the tee he'll like breathe hard and like move fast to like try and increase his heart rate his adrenaline and that's the only way you can gain maximum distance so like if you're standing on the tee with your heart like heart rate as low as possible you're not going to be able to create the speed that you can create if your heart is pounding so that's the only way you're going to be able to get maximum um distance right so if we see you breathing really heavy on the tee this week at the charles schwab we know what you're doing yeah exactly know exactly so we've got some busy weeks coming up the charles schwab challenge i know you've got your pro-am later this afternoon right yeah what time is it now it's i got a couple hours until on the tee so so you've got your your pro-am you practice this morning and then your first tees tomorrow who, who are you playing with this week i have a good group this week i'm playing with uh graham mcdowell from northern ireland and uh carlos ortiz from mexico so um I'm looking forward to, to playing with those guys, and uh, I think we'll we'll have a good time. Tell Graham McDowell that his restaurant here at uh, Nona Blue here in Ponte Vedra has the best buffalo sauce on the planet. Okay, I'll do it that. It is literally <laughs> the best there is. Now, do, do you when you get your pairing sheet every week? Does it are there certain guys you look forward to playing with because you know you're more comfortable, you play better with? Um, I mean, as as much as I should answer no to that, yeah, the answer is yes. I mean. If you're playing with guys that you enjoy playing with, uh, you like, I mean, Graham McDowell's a very nice guy to play with. I mean, he, he talks a lot. So does Carlos Ortiz. We have the same um, physio we use, uh, Carlos and I. So we have that in common. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, that's going to be a very comfortable pairing for, for all of us. So um, even if I don't play well this week, um, I'm going to enjoy my, my two days with them, but uh, more than likely, hopefully we will, we'll all play well. And, um, like I said, when you're seeing good shots and you're, it's easy to chat with the people you're playing with, um, just to relax a little bit, it, it can make it easier. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, we're all out there selfishly for, for ourselves and, uh, we're not out there to, to have a good time and chit chat and make friends. So, right. um, if it, if it comes to the end and you got to step on their throat to, to win the tournament, then you're going to try and do that. So. <laughs> Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that. What does your schedule look like moving forward? Well, uh, next week, the Memorial, I'm kind of right on the line if I'm going to get in, qualify or not. Right now, I'm an alternate, so depending on 
if guys withdraw or not, uh, I potentially will play there. If not, I'll come home to to Ponte Vedra for the week and and, and just relax. Uh, I think my grandmother from San Diego is coming over with my aunt, so it'll be nice to see them. So it'll be a win-win if I if I get into Memorial, great. If I don't, I get to spend time with my family. So so that'll be fun. And um, yeah, and then after that, I mean, obviously, have US Open. Um, I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to try and qualify or not yet. Um, and then there's the event in South Carolina. And then You're US hungry. Open Travelers. Yeah, so then, it, I mean, there, there's a lot to play. So there's a lot to play for in this last little bit. And to be honest, I'm at a nice place in the in the FedEx Cup right now. Nothing nothing flashy. I would love to have a great finish to the year to, to kind of move up there. And uh, that that's the goal. So um, really see if I can push forward here and put together multiple good weeks. Good deal. Well, Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. And uh, good luck this week at the Charles Schwab Challenge and moving forward. Hope you have a great week. Enjoy yourself and play well. Perfect. Thanks very much for having me in anytime. You got it, man. Thank you very much. Okay, cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Appreciate it. Um, Real quick, also. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero, X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 